Uh, can I invite you to uh, keep your Bibles or your order of service or your devices open at uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11? Uh, we're looking this morning at verses 16 to 24, continuing our series uh, on Matthew uh, 10, to, 10 to 12. Uh, that will take us till the beginning of Lent. So, uh, Matthew 11, verses uh, 16 to 24. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together uh, this morning around your word. And we thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through that word. Uh, we pray that you help me now to preach this word um, uh, rightly and in your power. Uh, we pray that your spirit will soften each one of our hearts, uh, that we would uh, respond rightly to Jesus and be encouraged in our service of him. Uh, so we commit this time to you, asking for you to be at work. We ask in Jesus' name. Well, one of the good things about being in a church like this one is that we often have people who start coming to our church as unbelievers. Uh, over a period of time, they meet Jesus in his word, um, but when they first come, they don't really know him. wonder if you're someone like that. You might have been here for a few weeks, might have been here for a few months, maybe even for many years. Right? There are people who come to church for years before they believe. They might have started coming with friends, or they might have just turned up, or, or maybe even they started coming as children brought by their parents. And then one day, many years later, the Spirit opens their eyes, and they trust in Jesus for themselves, uh, and, they, and, they, uh, and then they truly believe and follow Him. Well, if you're someone who is in our congregation, but you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, well, today is a good day to consider your response. You've heard about Jesus, you've read about him, you've been told over and over again who he is, what he came to do, what are you going to do with that? Our passage today will address you and your response to Jesus. Our passage today also addresses believers. Uh, we seek to serve God by making him known. But what if I'm not as gifted as my friend over there who's obviously such a successful evangelist? What if people ignore me or reject me when I tell them about Jesus? Well, does it necessarily mean there's something wrong with me? Should I give up? Should I feel really guilty that I've not led more people to Christ? In our passage this morning, we see how people responded to Jesus and to John the Baptist, his messenger. Of course, we know that crowds came to hear them, but in the end, John was put in jail by King Herod. And Jesus too would be rejected, especially by the leaders of Israel. And Jesus reflects on this rejection in the first part of our passage this morning. He says in verse 16, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. Now, notice that the kids are saying these things. Right? The kids in the marketplace, they are saying these things. And the generation is like the kids. In other words, it's not Jesus who's complaining that the people are not responding to him. It's the people of Israel who are like the children who are complaining. And they're saying, we played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, you didn't mourn. 
Why are they saying that? Well, here's their thinking. Verse 18. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See what it's saying? John the Baptist lived out there in the desert, very austere life, surviving on locusts and wild honey, preaching the word of God. And the people say, this guy's weird. He must be mad. Maybe he's demonized. He won't eat and drink and socialize and do all the normal things people do. We want him to relax and calm down, stop being so serious, so still, so focused, so condemning of others, so judgmental. He played the flute, didn't dance. We don't like him. And then Jesus came, eating and drinking, mixing freely with all kinds of people, some of them seedy, loving them, sharing meals with them, spending time with them, and in the midst of that, bringing the word of God to them and bringing sinners to genuine repentance. What do they say? He's a glutton, drunkard, hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. You know, you can tell a man by the company he keeps, and Jesus keeps bad company. In fact, he's terribly irreligious. You know, we wanted to make sure that him and his disciples, he teaches his disciples to follow the Sabbath properly, he never do. We wanted to teach his disciples to fast properly, like, you know, like, like John the Baptist does, and the, he won't. We played a dirge, a funeral song. He doesn't mourn. We don't like him either. Can't win, with some people. You go one way, you find fault. Go the other way, you also find fault. Because actually, the issue they raise is not the real issue. The real issue is that they don't want to submit to the word of God. They don't want to let God call the shots. The only God they will tolerate the messenger of God they will tolerate is the one who will dance to their tune. People prefer to follow a religion of their imagination or their culture than to deal with the God who is there. And so they find things about the messengers of God that they don't like and then they dismiss the messenger and dismiss the message. Of course, sometimes they have a point like, huh? Sometimes Christians act in despicable ways. Sometimes we do the wrong thing. Sometimes people pretending to be Christians do the wrong thing and preach the wrong thing, give everyone a bad name. Uh, often we all fail and fall and we don't live up to the message that we preach. Or sometimes we're just insensitive or stupid in the way we go about things. But, you know, our mistakes and inadequacies don't really change the reality about Jesus. Even if people dismiss us, they still shouldn't dismiss Jesus. The people of Jesus' generation dismissed both him and the messenger, John. They didn't fit into the expected mold. And they used that as an excuse to write them off. I hope that if you're not a believer and you're listening to the sermon today, that you are not someone who has written Jesus off. I'd like to think that if you're still coming or you're still tuning in online, it's because that you are being drawn to Jesus and you're keen to listen. But I do know that there will be people who come to church for whatever reason, they've already decided they don't believe in Jesus and the Bible. Or they don't want to live by his ethics. 
or they don't want to be identified with him. And they come with any excuse to write him off. Don't let that be you. And if it is you up to now, then please can you think again. You don't have to be like those children in the marketplace. That's, that's the wrong way to approach Jesus. He's not there to fulfill your expectations. You don't play the tune, then he's got to dance. No, 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 no. He's not going to jump when you say jump. He's the boss, not you. You've got to come on his terms, not yours. You can't say, I want my God to be like this. You don't, you don't get to make God up. You've got to say, what is God like? How has he revealed himself in Jesus? And submit yourself to him. You know, people used to think the earth is the center of the universe, and the sun and the moon, the planets, they all revolve around us. And then Copernicus helped us to realize that actually, no, it's the sun that's the center. It changes the whole way you think about astronomy. And my friend, you and I are not the center of the world. As much as we'd like to be, God is. We don't get to define God, how he works, what he ought to do. He's the one who tells us what to do, how to think. God has revealed himself to us truly and definitively in his son. So modify your expectations around Jesus instead of wanting Jesus to meet your expectations. But please don't reject Jesus. There is a lesson here for believers as well. John and Jesus are as different as chalk and cheese. And yet they both faithfully proclaim the kingdom. John the austere forerunner. Jesus the partying king. Didn't do ministry the same kind of way. Didn't have the same role. But each were faithful in the ministry God had given them. And each were rejected by the world. And brothers and sisters, God has given us different gifts, different personalities, different areas of expertise, different roles to play in serving him. Some of us are people who are a bit more confrontational. That's okay as long as it's done in love. Others are more relational. That's okay as long as we make sure we get the hard parts of the message across as well as the nice bits. Some are easygoing. Some are intense. Some of us are quite talkative. Some are quiet. They prefer to say little. Some of us can speak confidently about the gospel. Others are better, better off at inviting people to come and listen to someone else explain. Some go on the streets, preach to strangers. Others well, can't do that, but I'll look for opportunities with my friends and family. We don't have to be the same as each other. But let's all do our part for the sake of the kingdom. And let's all be prepared to be rejected by the world for our message. And when that happens, it's not necessarily our fault. It might be, but it's not necessarily. Because people will look for an excuse and criticize us for not fitting their expectations. And we can't meet everyone's expectations. And we don't need to. We need to trust Jesus, to live godly lives as defined by the Bible, not the world, Speak the truth in love to others. And if we do that, then let's not be too quick to blame ourselves if people don't believe. Jesus wouldn't dance to the tune of the world. We've got to dance to his tune. 
And we must continue to do that, even when people say, oh, the reason I'm not a Christian is because you won't dance to my tune. That's a big mistake, dancing to people's tune so that they'll become Christian. Well-meaning people, including, sadly, the Church of England bishops are making that mistake in the West. They think the church must dance to the world's tune instead of God's tune, which is given us in the Bible, to remain relevant to society. Oh, no, 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 friends. We must love people. We must seek to adapt to them in order to bring the gospel to them. That's true. We must never water down the gospel, never change the Bible's ethics to make it fit with what society wants to see. Jesus and John were rejected. And if we are faithful, then we must be prepared to be rejected as well. So John came with one style and Israel rejected him. Jesus came with a different style. Israel rejected him. You, you might think God made a mistake. Maybe it would better to send someone a bit more moderate than John. Or maybe it's better for Jesus to have been a bit less radical in his acceptance of others. But Jesus says at the end of verse 19, yet wisdom is justified or vindicated by her deeds, or as some versions have it, her children. God knows what he's doing. In his wisdom, he sent John like that. In his wisdom, he sent Jesus like that. Even if Israel rejected their witness, wisdom, God's wisdom, will be shown to be right in the end. Even the rejection of Jesus was actually part uh, of God's plan. Things are still going according to plan. Don't worry about that. And friends, let us in our own day have confidence in God's wisdom. Let us stick to his word, and dance to his tune. And even if that means setbacks now, God's wisdom will be shown to be right in the end. At the same time as God is sovereign, human beings are still responsible for our actions. And so in verse 20, Jesus begins to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done because they did not repent. These cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, were actually little towns on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Listen to what Jesus says about them. Verse 21, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon, they were great cities of the Old Testament times. Cities of wealth and affluence, coastal centers of trade and commerce that were so self-sufficient and arrogant that they thought they didn't need God. In fact, so prideful was the king of Tyre that he proclaimed himself to be a god. And the prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Amos all spoke against them. They prophesied in awful, dramatic terms about the judgment that God was going to pour out against Tyre and Sidon. But Jesus said, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for those little villages of Chorazin and Bethsaida, where he did his miracles. And he continues in verse 23, And you, Capernaum? Will you be exalted to heaven? 
you'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day. Sodom was a cesspit of iniquity. A city is so morally corrupt that when God's angels visited there to rescue Lot from it, the, city, the men of the city wanted to rape them. A city that was proud of its sin, paraded it in public, did detestable things before God while being arrogant, overfed, showing no concern for the needy. A city where God couldn't even find ten righteous people and destroyed the whole city with burning sulfur. And Jesus said to the people of the little town of Capernaum in verse 24, I tell you, it would be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. It's a terrible words to hear, isn't it? What do we learn from this? Well, there's a few things to note. Firstly, we're reminded that there is a day of judgment to come for all cities. The judgment that Tyre and Sidon and Sodom faced back way back in Old Testament times, that actually wasn't the end of the judgment. There was another judgment that they would face on the last day. And the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they would face that same judgment day. And you know what? The people of KL and PJ and Klang, same judgment day at the end as well. There's a day of judgment to come. And secondly, we learn that there are varying degrees of punishment, right? Jesus is able to say to Chorazin and Bethsaida, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Because various degrees of punishment means that God is able to titrate judgment accordingly. It's not one size fits all in the justice God brings. It's not random destruction he brings. It is carefully balanced, finely honed, retributive justice. Even among those who fall under God's condemnation, it will be more bearable for some than others on that day. And then we realize also that God can take everything into account when dispensing justice. Jesus knows what these ancient cities would have done if things were different. Uh, of course, God always judges according to what people have done. Ah, that's, that's, that's justice. But he knows, he takes into account he, things that we, can, we, couldn't, we couldn't possibly take into account. He knows what opportunities they had, how things would have been different. How, he knows all those things. Which is why we have to leave judgment to God. We can't do that. God will judge the world with justice. But let's be clear. Jesus doesn't indicate that the people of Tyre and Sidon will actually be saved on the day of judgment. Right? That's, this is not a question of salvation. Salvation is by grace that's over and above justice. It's different. The issue here is retribution based on culpability. God will bring perfect justice. In this world, justice is always partial, incomplete. Some get off easy, some get hit hard, some seem to get away with doing things. Some, On the day of judgment, everything is sorted out. Justice will be done and be seen to be done. But finally, and here's the point that Jesus is actually making, exposure to Jesus increases culpability on the day of judgment. Because, you see, these guys had Jesus doing his miracles, performing the works that the Old Testament said would happen when, when God came to save his people, and they rejected him. That's, that's, that's bad. 
You can't blame Sodom and, uh, Sodom and Tyre for rejecting Christ. And God's not going to blame them for rejecting Christ. They, they'll be judged according to what they've done. But Karaz and Bethsaida, Capernaum, they, they are culpable for rejecting Christ. They had Jesus doing all those miracles. And so not only are they guilty like the rest of humanity of rebelling against the Creator, but they're also guilty of turning away from Him when He came to save them. Friends, whenever people are exposed to Jesus, when the word of God goes forward, it brings judgment as well as salvation. When Christ is preached, some people put their faith in him. Some people believe in his death for them on the cross, bearing their sins in their place. They, they believe that he rose from the dead. They, they repent of their sins and they fall before him as Lord and King. And for these people, the word of God is a word that brings salvation. It brings escape from the judgment to come because on the cross, Jesus took the judgment for them. He bore all their sins and their punishment, facing the full wrath of God for everything they've done. And justice is satisfied, sin has been paid for, and God can forgive them without implying their sin doesn't matter. The sacrifice of Jesus applies to them. The message of the gospel brings salvation to some. But some people, when they hear the message of Christ, they... They refuse to believe, and they keep on refusing to believe, again and again and again and again. They won't trust Jesus to take their sins. They won't submit to him as God's king. And so like the miracles of Jesus, the word of God increases their culpability. And the gospel message only makes their situation worse because their rejection of it brings judgment on themselves. So let me ask you, my friends, how are you responding to Jesus? You're going to dismiss him, find an excuse why you don't like him, find fault with Christians, which is very easy to do, then use it as an excuse to say no to him. Be careful, we're not just people who hear the gospel, because hearing the gospel is not enough. Not enough to know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Not enough to know that, he will, that he's risen from the dead and he will return to judge the world. In fact, if, only, if we only know, it would have been better if we didn't know. We need to believe it. Not just as a fact of history. But we need to trust Jesus to remove our sins through his death on the cross for us. We need to turn away from sin and surrender to him, to offer him everything we are, everything we have for his glory. As we do that, and coming to church and hearing all about Jesus has only made our situation worse than before. And it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, and Chorazin, and Bethsaida, and Capernaum, then for us, who have heard the gospel of Jesus in all its fullness, and then turned away from him. We have been warned. Let's pray. Forgive us, we pray, Father, when we have 
made excuses in turning away from Jesus. May your spirit soften each one of our hearts here that we will turn trust him give our lives to him and may you help us not to so much fear the rejection of the world that we dance to the tune of the world, but that we love and follow Jesus, being willing to be rejected as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.